Colossians 4.2, in the CSB, the translation we use, and I'll be referring back to it in the sermon in this translation, says this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Great truths. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Now, the King James, the ESV, I think probably do a better job of the first part of that uh, sentence in the Greek. It says, continue in prayer, not devote yourselves to prayer, but continue in prayer. The implication is, is that, that we have the temptation or sometimes in our life we just drop prayer. We don't continue praying. So we need to make sure that prayer is such an important part of our life, it doesn't drop out of our life. So that's what he's talking about. Devote yourselves to prayer. Don't quit praying. You can see Jesus saw this danger in Luke 18, verse 1. He said, now he told them a a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. Don't give up on prayer. That was evidently a temptation out there. Now, can I say this? I don't know that anybody ever completely gives gives up on prayer because... If you're a soldier in the battlefield and the bullets and the bombs are falling, uh, you're going to pray. No atheists in the foxhole, they say. If you just came from the doctor's office and they've just given you this scary word cancer, you're going to pray. I've heard teachers talk about this. So they talk about taking prayer out of schools. They'll never take prayer out of schools as long as they have final exams. And so there's 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 times when we just turn to God in prayer. I had a friend of mine in Columbus, Georgia, near where we were, named Bill Purvis, pastor of the largest church in Columbus. And his church decided to take an orphanage nearby, take all the children to Six Flags. Uh, As they were going up there on the bus, one of the workers from the orphanage pointed out a little boy and said, he's here because he was abused by his mother and father. And so he decided he'd befriend that boy, make him his special project that day. So they went to the most famous, older... um, uh, roller coaster, the scream machine. It's a wooden roller coaster that's been there a long time, gives you the authentic uh, experience of a roller coaster. And so here he was sitting in the car going up the slow movement up to the top. And the little boy was fascinated. Look, I can see this. I can see that. He was enjoying the view until they got up toward the top. And then he said this. He said, Bill, somebody's got to get us down. As they went down, the little boy cried out, God, help me. When they got to the bottom, he cried out, somebody help me. So there's a sense which you'll never get rid of prayer. It's going to be a part of our lives. But there is that temptation that prayer can drop out. It won't be a vital part of our lives. It won't be a regular part of our routine. So the question on the floor is this. How do you continue to have prayer as a vital part of your life? I'm going to give you several thoughts on that. Number one. Keep it real. If prayer is going to be a vital part of your life, keep it real. Prayer is conversation with God. It does not to be. It does not need to be flowery, hypocritical. You just go and share your heart with your heavenly Father. And I don't think God likes hypocrisy anyway. Things that aren't real. Last week we mentioned uh, Wilfred Winfred Grinfell. Excuse me, Winfred Grill. We mentioned a doctor last week. There was a missionary. <laughs> Wilfred Grinfeld, Um, he spent his career as a medical doctor in Labrador. He was not a Christian when he was in college. In fact, he thought Christianity, there was nothing to it. It was all hypocrisy, wouldn't go to church. 
But Moody came to his town and everybody was talking about the meetings that Moody was having. So he decided out of curiosity to give Moody one chance. Well, what Moody did was what Billy Graham later did. He would put pastors on the platform to show their support. And he would call on one pastor to pray before he preached. That gave uh, participation from the local religious community. Well, that particular day before he was to preach, one of the local pastors got up and was preaching a, praying a flowery prayer that obviously wasn't meant for God's ears. It was meant to impress everybody there. Grenfell thought to himself, this, this is no different. They're, they're, hip, they're hypocrites. I'm out of here. He was about to get up and walk out when all of a sudden Moody, who could not stand hypocrisy, walked to the front of the, front of the platform and said, while our brother finishes his prayer, will you turn to him number? <laughs> He said, I'm going to listen to that man. So keep it real. It's just a relationship with God. I, I love the fact that with cell phones now that I can check in with Karen when I'm driving or, or, or we, we, we can be in touch with each other. I just love hearing her voice. I love hearing what's going on in her life. But folks, when I talk to Karen, I don't talk to her the way I hear some pray in church with some flowery King James language. Let me give you an example of how, if I, if I talk to Karen the way that some people pray, Oh, thou most wonderful of wives, thou who art more beautiful and merciful than any other woman I know, wilt thou be attentive to my request today as I beseech thee for red meat instead of turkey substitutes? Humbly I lay this supplication at thy feet. That's not the way a husband talks to his wife. Why would I talk that way to my heavenly father? We just need to be real. I can't think of anybody who models being real with Jesus more than Mary. She was the brother. She, her brother was Lazarus. Her sister was Martha. You remember they had that time when Jesus came to their house for dinner and she just sat at Jesus' feet. She loved him. Well, Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was sick, sent a messenger to Jesus. Get here. He's sick. And he delayed and tarried. In fact, he waited so long that Lazarus not only died, he had been dead four days and he yet stinketh, the King James says. Well, finally Jesus showed up and they came to see Mary and said, the master's here. She went and saw him. It's not in the Bible, but I believe she did this. I think she put her finger in his face. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Isn't that honesty? That was what she was thinking, and that's what she told him. That's being real. So if you're going to have a prayer life that is vital, keep it real. Number two, keep it simple. Some people quit on prayer because they think it's too difficult. And I would say that if I were to survey the people in this room, many of you would say one of the weakest areas of my Christian life is my prayer life. I need help there. Well, you're in good company because the disciples only asked Jesus for one thing. They said, teach us to pray. Uh, they felt like they needed help in their prayer life. And what did Jesus do? He gave them this simple prayer that we pray every Sunday. A prayer you can pray in less than a minute. A prayer that basically spends the first time you focus on God and his kingdom. The last part of it, you focus on our needs, daily bread, forgiveness, etc. So, so keep it simple. It doesn't have to be something complicated. Now, one of the things that helps people is if they use a routine in their prayer life so they'll be guided as to what they should pray. And a popular routine is the acrostic acts, and that'll be on the screen now. 
The A-C-T-S, A stands for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, supplication is what S stands for. I, we don't use that word much now, but requests. When you, if you look at that A, adoration, I try to have at the very beginning of my prayer time, time when I praise all three persons of the Trinity. I focus on the Father and focus on the Son and focus on the Holy Spirit. Confession, that's a vital part. I was, I'm reading a book on prayer by Philip Yancey right now, and he talks about the reason why confession comes in every prayer and must be there is it's part of our way of seeing how wonderful, exalted he is and how I am here. He said, by the way, grace flows downstream. So when I take my proper place, I'm in the place to receive grace. Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about that later on in the message, and it's in the verse. But supplication, those are requests. And I know there are a lot of people say, well, how am I going to pray for everyone that I need to pray for? Well, today at lunch, we're going to have 18 for lunch. Uh, we have our 15th grandchild on the way. Not all of our kids are here, but we got a bunch of them. And so with 15 soon-to-be grandkids and with all the spouses and all of that, i tell you what I do. I'm encouraged because on several places in the epistles, Paul says, I make mention of you in my prayers. So there are times when I can stop and be a little more intensive in praying for each one of my children and grandchildren. But, but there's many a day I just simply make sure I say, now, Lord, have mercy on Ella today. Lord, have mercy on Luke. Lord, have mercy on Noah off at seminary. I just go, go through there. And, and as I do that, if, if something comes up, I go past that. But just mentioning them, making requests. I always pray for Justin, for the staff, and, and that God would bless them, that God would bless the church. But this part here, the S would be where you would pray for those that, are, that you know are in need right now. So have some kind of form that will help you along. Keep it simple. Uh, do, do these things that will help you be continual in prayer. Keep it real. Keep it simple. Number three, keep it short. Keep it. Now, I know you're sitting here and what us? what kind of spiritual man will get up and say to his church, keep it short? Well, let me explain what I mean. I think some people quit on their prayer life because they say, I just don't have the time to give to it that great men and women of God have had in the past. And I believe we preachers are at fault for that. I'm going to tell you a story in just a second that I've told many a times and I'm repenting of it right now. Uh, and this is a true story. Martin Luther actually said this. He said, every morning I wake up and spend two hours in prayer except on very busy days and then I spend three hours in prayer. Well, I've shared that before, and I thought, wow, that'll stir you. You know what it does? It frustrates you because you're raising little ones. You've got a demanding job. You've got all the, I mean, how are you going to find two hours every day to prayer, pray, and then on busy days find three? That's unrealistic. We've got a whole host of callings to do in the Christian life. In fact, Jesus warned us about thinking that there's more value because of the length of a prayer. Look at Matthew 6. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Can I give you some examples of short prayers that got answered in the Gospels? Here's one. 
Jesus was walking on the water, coming to his disciples. And I love Peter, foot in the mouth, Peter. You know, he, uh, he says, oh, that looks fun. Can I do that, God? And he says, well, come on, step out of the boat. And he starts walking and I can just feel the pride in his chest. Boys, are y'all watching? I'm walking on water. And then a wave hit his side of his face and he started looking at the waves instead of Jesus and began to sink. And he prayed a three-word prayer. Jesus, save me. And it worked. That's all he said. And Jesus reached down and pulled him out of the water and kept him from drowning. Uh, there was a story Jesus told about two people who prayed. One was a Pharisee. He knew, he knew how to play, pray those hypocritical flowery prayers. And he was on one corner. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men because I do this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm not like him. And and prayed that long, wordy prayer for the ears of those who would listen. On the other side of the street was a tax collector. And, and let me read you his entire prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all that came out of his mouth. That's all he could say. And Jesus said, now that's the man, the tax collector, that went home justified. Not the other man. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then when Jesus was hanging on that cross and there were two men on each side, one of those thieves looked to him and had a very short prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said, one sentence. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He got an answer to that prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can be a short prayer. So keep it real. Keep it simple. Keep it short. Number four. Keep it up. Keep it up. Continue in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Pick a time and stick with it on a consistent basis. Now, for many folks, what that will mean, especially if you're in the work world, you may have to set your alarm a little early to give time to God to make sure that's not crowded out of your life. And I commend that. I've been an early morning person for quite some time, and that's when I meet God. Karen is uh, an early morning person now. She spends her time with God at that time, but that was not true for her for years. For years with five kids to get up and get ready and feed breakfast and get them to school. Karen could not take her time to be alone with God until after the kids had been dropped off and she got back. And then she would go to the bedroom, shut her door and have her because that was the best time for her. I don't want to be legalistic about when your best time would be. All I can say is, Find your best time and do it every day. Keep it up. In the 19-teens, there was a man who came to a hotel and he asked the clerk for a room and the clerk said, I've got one room left. Just as the clerk was about to give him the key, another man rushed up and said, please, I've got to have a room. It's too cold for me to sleep out in the street. Do you have a room? I just gave away the last one. And this gentleman said, you can share my room. So they went up to the room. And the gentleman before bed said, now I want you to know I have a practice I never miss. Every morning when I wake up, I read the Bible and I pray. But I would invite you to join with me if you'd like to. He said he would. So the next morning they got up and that gentleman opened his Bible and read the Bible and prayed. And as they kept got to talking, he got to lead him to Christ. His name is William Jennings Bryan. And he was the secretary of state for Woodrow Wilson at that time. He had an unbreakable time with God every morning. Now, that is what is meant by devote yourselves to prayer. Continue in prayer. We've, we've kind of squeezed that line out. So let me go to the next line. 
He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it. Uh, The King James says, watch in it. So what I need to do is be committed to prayer, but pray with my eyes open. Now, I'm not talking about literally, although there's nothing wrong with praying with your eyes open. But I'm saying pray with your eyes open to see what's going on. And so I think there's a sense in which we need to keep our eyes open in our prayer. I'll give you some ways that we need to keep our eyes open. You need to keep your eyes open to what God is doing at this moment. When I see God about to, when I see God moving, that's the time for me to stop right then and join him in prayer. In England, there was an invalid woman who had been reading about a new Sunday school worker named D.L. Moody. And and although this woman couldn't leave her house, she prayed, God, send D.L. Moody to my church to preach. Well, meanwhile, D.L. Moody had been sent a ticket for he and his wife and a song leader and their wife to go on a ship across the ocean and preach. By the time they got there, the people that invited them had died, had no place to preach. But they'd had a preacher who'd said to him before, if you're ever in England, come preach at my church. He showed up on a Sunday, said, you did say if I was ever in England, come. And so he said, well, come and preach this morning. So he preached, nothing happened. That after lunch, after church, lunchtime, the sister of the invalid was in the service. She came with, we had something unusual. Had a guest preacher from America named D.L. Moody. She told her sister, don't bring my lunch, shut the door. I'm praying and I'm fasting the rest of the day. He came to preach that night and the spirit of God was poured out. And that began a revival that lasted for two years and would sweep through England and Scotland. Her eyes were open to what God was doing. But not only keep your eyes open to what God is doing, keep your eyes open to what Satan is doing. I mean, there are times when you might sense that Satan is trying to tempt you. You go pray. It may be sometimes when you say that you feel like Satan is trying to get one of my children, my grandchildren, go pray. We pray when we sense him about to attack. Um, Spurgeon was the greatest Baptist preacher ever. He built a large auditorium, but underneath it was a fellowship hall. And when he preached, there were scores of people down there praying. His pulpit was right over where they prayed. And he had a signal. He said, if I'm preaching and I sense the presence of the devil, I'll stomp. And that's your signal to pray harder. So when you sense the devil, keep your eyes open, pray, pray then. Keep your eyes open to what God prompts you from the word. When you're reading the Bible to hear from God, God will cause something to jump off the page that will apply to your life or somebody else's life. Keep your eyes open to what he's saying to you in the word. I'll give you a biblical example of that. In Daniel 9, Daniel had been captured as a young man and taken to Babylon. Babylon was then conquered by Persia. And so he'd been there a long time. The last prophet who had spoken to Judah before they were conquered was the prophet Jeremiah. Well, as an old man, Daniel decided to read Jeremiah's writings. And as he read it, he found a prophecy that jumped off the page. Here's here's what it said. Jeremiah, by God's leading, said, you will be captives for 70 years and then you can go home. And Daniel was struck. Wait a minute. Let me check. 70 years ago was when we came, went into captivity. The 70 years are now up. And he closed the door, shut himself off, and went into the presence of God to stand upon what he had just read in the Word, to pray, God, open up the heart of the king of Persia to let us go home. And God did that. And they began to return to Jerusalem. But then also, open your eyes to the needs of those around you. Folks, 
Can, can I give you just one thought? Because as Christians, we have people come up to us constantly and say, would you pray for me? And they'll tell you the need that they're happening, have, has happening in your life, in their life. Would you do this? Stop right then and pray. Pray with them right there. I found you can pray in Walmart, in Ingalls. It doesn't have to be in church. You just stop and pray for them. Keep your eyes open. All right, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with thanksgiving. So the last thing I'll mention in the sermon on prayer is that prayer should always include thanksgiving. Prayer should always include thanksgiving. G.K. Chesterton was a brilliant English writer and his writings influenced both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis to come to the Lord. He was raised a Christian, but he walked away from his faith when he went to college, decided to be an atheist and joined something called the Pessimist Club. And everybody in the Pessimist Club was an atheist. But while he was in the Pessimist Club, all this, he, he just kept finding things. He enjoyed this blessing. He saw this thing of beauty. He said, I kept finding things to be thankful for. And because I was an atheist, I had nobody to thank. So what drew him back to God was he needed somebody to say thank you to. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Around 70 AD or so, the Jews put in writing the way they lived out their faith. It had been oral tradition till then, but then they put it in writing in something called the Talmud. And today the Talmud is cherished and studied by Orthodox Jews. In the Talmud, it has some instructions about Thanksgiving. It, it, it instructs Orthodox Jews that they need to say 100 thank you God prayers a day. Think, would you just think about that right quick? Could you thank God for 100 different things every day? Thank you God for my wife. Thank you God for this church. Thank you God for fried apple pies. <laughs> at the Apple Festival. <laughs> you know, I mean, a hundred. Do you realize how healthy that is to stop and give God thank you prayers? I had a member who used to struggle with depression, and he told this to his son. His son told this to me from his father. He said, son, this is what I do when I feel the black cloud of depression coming on me. I have a journal, and I go and start a fresh page, and my page is entitled, I Thank God For and I just start writing down everything I can thank God for. He said, inevitably, when I begin thanking God, my depression lifts. Taylor, who gets a copy of the sermon each week, found a scientific study that he sent to Justin and I. In the scientific study, it said they have studied the brain and found that the same place where you, can ex you express gratitude is the place that experiences depression. And you can't have both. If you are producing gratitude out of that part of your brain, you can't have depression. If you're in depression, then you don't have gratitude. So the very action of gratitude will make it impossible to experience depression. So this incredible passage today, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. God wants prayer to be a vital part of our lives, so how do you do it? Keep it real, keep it simple, keep it short, and keep it up. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray right now that you'll take these truths and encourage, uh, through your Holy Spirit, encourage us to just have a friendship with you that's expressed in prayer. Just to want to talk to you the way we want to text a friend. Lord, we we just want to, we want it to be real, our relationship with you. Lord, let, let that be true of every person in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.